0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Good morning, everybody. It is great to be back. been gone for a couple of weeks, and um, since I've been gone, i got all kinds of content today, so we're going to dismiss around 3 in the afternoon. So um, we're going to have some concessions coming down the aisles. Uh, you guys can get some food in between. I'm, I'm kidding. If you're new, you're like, oh, no. Um, that was a joke, so we'll be done here in a little bit. Um... Hey, I want to say, too, if you're uh, watching us online, we are glad you're here. But also, if you're online, encourage you to take a moment and share uh, the gathering online. And if you're in person, I also want to mention this to you. Um, As you're coming in on a Sunday and you come to the 945, take a moment to share it. And the reason we say that is because we believe that online is a great front door for people around in our county to experience the Grove Church without coming at first. Um, So take a moment and and do that each Sunday. It really does help. Uh, About On average, about 100 more people get to see it online uh, or get to at least know that it's there available to watch. So take a moment and do that. Um, We're going to be in Hosea chapter one. If you're looking for that in scripture, some of you guys are like, that's even a book in the Bible. It is. It's one of the minor prophets. If you know um, your books of the Bible at all, um, you've got, uh, let's go Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Okay, good. So far, what's next? Anybody? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. So um, what I would say is this. If you're looking for it and you brought a Bible with you, you actually have the pages of a Bible, which is rare. This is a book, an actual physical book. Um, anyway, sorry, that was so insulting. For, I'm, I apologize. Um, but uh, it's about 60% of the way through your Bible. If you open it up, you get to Hosea. If you get to, uh, let's see, uh, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. You went too far. Take a left. Um, but uh, Hosea is where we're going to land. Um, I've been on vacation, but it wasn't really vacation. I was moving my mother-in-law so she would still love me. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we, we moved her from Springfield, Missouri to Spokane, so that was a good time. The worst part of the, the move, by the way, it's a, it's a feeling of accomplishment, by the way, to pack a whole house in, a, in one truck and, and, and move it multiple states away. The tough part is we got the biggest U-Haul available, and it was packed, and every bump feels like you're ruining every bit of furniture in the back. I mean, just like every... I mean, so I thought for sure we'd get there, and it would be like half full, like it all just settled. And like, but um, anyway, we, we got back, and, and only a few things were maybe, maybe minorly uh, damaged, but... Um, uh, any anybody remember uh, in the NBA who the goat is? Anybody just know by a raise of hands who, who who the greatest of all time is? That's what the goat is, by the way, greatest of all time. Um, uh, in in, uh, in the eighties and nineties, there was a guy named Michael Jordan. You might have heard of that name, um, but uh, yeah, still the goat. Exactly. If anybody disagrees, you can leave now. The exits are two to the front, two to the side. <laughs> just kidding. But um, Michael Jordan was in. Uh, it, it, Probably one of the best basketball. Some people say, "Well, Wilt, Wilt Chamberlain." Some people erroneously say LeBron James, which is kind of funny, but we'll keep moving on. But uh, anyway, there was a there was a Gatorade commercial from 1990. How many of you guys were alive in 1991? Just raise your hands. How many were how many were adults in 1991? Okay, I was like, but 16, 17. Um, anyway, there was a commercial by Gatorade that showed Michael Jordan playing basketball. And anybody remember the three-word slogan that was that commercial? That wasn't just "Do it." That was Nike. Be like Mike. Anybody? Remember? Okay. So I want to be, I want to be like Mike, like Mike. If I could be like Mike. That was the commercial. And it was, like I said, Michael Jordan and some of his great plays in the NBA, but then kids like trying to learn how to spin a ball or put the ball, you know, all that. Um, and, and that was the kind of idea. I bring it up because uh, you think of the commercial and the idea is, man, if I could just be like that, I could be amazing, I could win awards or I could make a lot of money or I could sort of be famous or whatever. And, and on one hand, the idea is not all bad because even Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So in a spiritual sense, that's a good example of it. But there are all kinds of examples that are not such good examples where we wanna be like somebody else that you look at their lives and go, boy, there's certain things about that that are not healthy. And, and honestly, when you look at the nation of Israel over and over and over, one of their struggles was they wanted to desperately be like other nations. And so it became such a problem that when you look at Hosea, this is where we get into sort of the details of what's happening here. I'm going to read, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive in. We're starting just at the very beginning of Hosea, um, and it says this, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Berai, during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Kings of the kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. Verse 5, In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them not by sword or battle or bow, um, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord, their God, will save them. After she weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Uh, Jesus, please open our hearts today. This is, this is kind of nuts, but God, we just pray for your spirit to really help us understand the gravity of what's going on here uh, that opens us to, to what's going on in Israel back in the day, but also why this applies to us, why this matters to us, Uh, help us. We surrender this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hosea is what we would call one of the minor prophets in the Bible. And if you've ever read the the Old Testament and you you know of, uh, like we said, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, they're kind of the more major prophets, and, and more or less because they wrote longer stuff than the others did and the others are much shorter. Hosea would be one of the more, more minor prophets. It's 12 chapters. Others are way shorter, but Hosea is, is a minor prophet in the Bible. He, he was a prophet of God um, in the time, in, in, the, in the century of like 700 BC. So if you go back 700 BC, if you're in the reading plan with us and you're keeping up with it, as we're in Chronicles right now, some of these kings are actually mentioned in what you and I would be reading right now. So if you're keeping up, this is right where we're at in both uh, 2 Chronicles as well as 2 Kings. If you're taking notes, 2 Kings 15 and 16, and 2 Chronicles 26 through 28. That's where you'll find the story of these kings. Now, it it opens up with this. um, It says, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, and it talks about the kings of of, um, both uh, Judah and Israel. If you remember, the nation of Israel was God's chosen, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but it started out as the nation of Israel, but as time went on, uh, there was a group of of, uh, the nation of Israel that, that seceded from Uh, Israel and became Judah. So you have a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Israel, northern, and Judah, the southern kingdom. And that's kind of what's going on here when it talks about these kings of Judah and these kings of Israel. They're all technically part of the same tribe, family from way back when, but they split into two different nations, and that's kind of what's going on here. So um, Hosea is is a prophet to this group of people. Verse two, it says this, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a, a promiscuous woman. Now, let, let me jump into this because the, the, the NIV that I'm reading, New International Version, is very nice about this. But I will say other translations would, would use the word uh, marry a prostitute. Um, another one, the ESV, actually says a woman of whoredom. So PG-13, uh, a woman of whoredom is, is kind of the idea. But um, I, I say that. And you go, wow, God asked somebody to do that. And just so you know, this is a one and done. This is a one-off. This is a one-hit wonder. This is not like, oh, now I can go do this. Okay, this is not you. This doesn't apply to you. This has nothing to do with you at all. This does not give you permission to marry whomever that does whatever because that's okay because somehow Hosea got to do it. Everybody repeat after me. This is a one and done. Okay, just so you know, that's a one and done. Just, just to be clear. Now, I want you to take note. It says, um, uh, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea or to Hosea. This is the beginning of his ministry. And, and he's got the most difficult assignment you can imagine at the very beginning. Like, hey, Hosea, you want to be a prophet? Great news. Go marry a prostitute. And like, wait, what? I think we got our wires crossed here. You know. Um, so this is what he's called to do right off the bat. And, and um, it wasn't just a message. This was meant to be a very personal object lesson. If you've ever read Ezekiel, which is another prophet of God, Ezekiel was called to do all kinds of strange things. Ezekiel was called to hide scrolls in a wall. Ezekiel was called to... No joke, like play in the dirt and make pathways and put bricks in certain places to to sort of bring a, a prophecy in the dirt of like a, 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 the 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 besieging of Jerusalem and all this weird stuff. It's like anybody ever play Tonka trucks in the dirt in your backyard? Like I remember doing that and making pathways. This is what Ezekiel was called to do. And then God said, "I want you to lay on your side for months and months and months." And then He said, "Now turn over and lay on your other side again for a long stretch of time." Finally, Ezekiel was called to cook over dung. Like, yay, that sounds awesome. Ezekiel, okay? All of that, in my opinion, pales in comparison to what Hosea is asked to do by God. Go marry a prostitute. But it's meant to be, like I said, a very personal object lesson. And, and, and it says this, uh, go marry go marry a promiscuous woman, prostitute and have children with her. And and by the way, part of understanding the language that's gonna play out here in a moment is that there's a chance that these kids weren't even Hosea's kids. His his wife is out doing what she does as a prostitute and then coming home, and at one point, at three different points, she's pregnant and has a child, and there is a chance that at least the last two aren't even his own kids. So you can imagine, as, as a man who marries a prostitute, the heartache he must have felt, but keep in mind, it was meant to be an object lesson because the last part of this verse says, okay, let me start. It says, go marry a promiscuous or adulterous uh, prostitute and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Why did Hosea receive such a harsh calling by God? And the reason has everything to do with God's deep, passionate love. For Israel, for his people. And we'll get into that a little more in a few moments. Okay, let's look at verse three. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim. So if you've ever called somebody a Gomer, be careful what you say. Okay, so that's a phrase people, hey, you're such a Gomer. Okay, careful here. But um, anyway, and she conceived and bore him a son. Again, the language here for this first child is it, it could have been his, it may not have, but it could have been his child. It says, bore him a son. Uh, Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. What, what God is talking about here, and again, if you go back to kings, what you find is that there was a king named Jehu. And, and, and Jehu ended up murdering 70 sons of the previous king, and he did this in the valley of Jezreel in Israel. So what God is referring to when he says this to Hosea is this crazy injustice of the murder of 70 of the, king, the former king's sons. And so God says, I'm going to avenge all of the blood that was spilled back then. I'm going to avenge that blood. So the first part was to avenge uh, the, the, the murder of Ahab's sons, the 70 sons. This is in 2 Kings 10, if you're taking notes, uh, verses 1 through 11. The second reason that this, this is every, every child born here is, is, is a more harsh judgment. And I'll get to why that's a big deal here in a second. Again, the first thing is to avenge the death of the sons. The second, though, is to introduce the beginning of the end for Israel. Uh, They're marching towards captivity, and it's the sad reality of their rebellion against God that brought this on. So it says, I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And then in verse 5, it says, in that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel this was prophesied about in 77760 bc it was fulfilled in 733 bc so a few decades later it was fulfilled in 733 by the assyrian king tiglath-pileser and uh, he came and and, and marched uh, marched them uh, sorry besieged and captured the valley of jezreel the assyrian empire did that in 733 bc so that became true verse 5 is fulfilled decades later Verse six and seven, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. So the first child that's born is the beginning of the end of Israel. The prophecy is is, you're moving towards the end of being a nation and you're moving towards captivity because of your rebellion. The second one becomes even more severe when God says, I am removing my love from you. And and keep in mind, when when God had said to Israel multiple different times, you are my beloved, Jeremiah, one of the major prophets of the Old Testament, at one point in chapter 31 said, Israel is my beloved. Keep in mind in context, back in this day, there were gods of all kinds of nations. And if you've read scripture at all, you've, you've heard of the gods like Marduk, Molech, Baal, Ashtoreth, all these different gods of other nations. The context of understanding a nation's relationship with these gods was typically we've got to do all kinds of things to appease these gods to get their favor so that we can have rain on our crops or so that we can prosper or so that we can overcome nations in battle. And it included not only cutting themselves and and, and blood flowing all over the place, it also included at times child sacrifice. There there wasn't any idea of a a God that loved. It was more of a prove yourself to this God and that you really care about this God somehow by, by doing crazy things. And this God will somehow provide some sort of blessing for you because you've proved yourself enough. This is the opposite of the God of Israel. The God of Israel at certain points along the way had said, you are my people, you are my chosen, you are my beloved. The only understanding we have Of the gods of other nations compared to the Lord, Yahweh, God, the I am, is that this God is a God who loves the nation of Israel and wants to bless the nation of Israel. Very different understanding. So when when Hosea says, have this child and name this child uh, Lo Ruama," which means not loved, it was a big deal because God had said, you are my beloved. And now God is saying, I'm removing my love for you. Okay, next step in understanding this. The other part was this. In the nation of Israel, divorce was basically forbidden, but there were allowances for divorce. However, because of the way women were treated way back when, if a woman was divorced and, and, and let go, they would starve to death. They would, they would live horrible lives. So part of the understanding for a woman that was divorced back in the old covenant was you, you, you may not be married to them anymore, but you still need to provide for them. You still need to take, take care of their basic necessities because otherwise they would be destitute. It's not the same in, in the world we live in today in a lot of ways. And so um, when, when, when God says you are, you are not loved anymore, it's understanding there's still this sense of I'll provide for you, but the love, love thing is, is changed. So this is another step, again, in the severity of judgment that would happen because of the nation of Israel and their rebellion. Now I want you to notice in verse 7, yet, so he says, I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them, yet. I will show love to Judah, and I will save them not by bow, sword, battle, horses, and horsemen, but I, the Lord God, will save them. Why is it that God is willing (coughs) to extend love towards Judah, but not towards Israel? And the basic understanding is this. I'm going to keep this super simple. Over and over, when you read the Old Testament, especially Judges Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, those are all very historical books. They paint this picture of Israel, obedience and blessing, disobedience, and rebellion, obedience, and blessing, and disobedience. And what happened was when the nation split into two nations, Israel and Judah, northern and southern kingdom, the nation of Israel had wicked kings first and more severely first. So the rebellion that, that, that was being experienced was more severe by Israel than it was by Judah. So God says, I'm taking out Israel because it's become terrible compared to judah that still got some kind of grace there more or less so when you read verse 7 that's the basic understanding of what's going on they've become more wicked than judah has become what we read about as time goes on is that eventually judah would become just as wicked and they would both end up in captivity which is what god had said and he's moving towards as he's talking to hosea here so i hope you're here following me um, So his affection has changed for Israel, but not for Judah. And then when he talks about um, God will save in in verse seven, uh, not by bow, sword, battle, horses, horsemen, that's because if you're reading the historical books in the reading plan we've put out, so we're in Chronicles, you would notice in the stories of some of these kings what they did was instead of seeking God, they they ended up taking certain like uh, things from the temple. They had gold and, and articles of bronze and things of great value. They would take those from the temple and give them to other kings and say, Hey, will you align with us if we're ever if we're ever being attacked? Would you come to our aid, or would you align with us? We want to take out a certain nation or whatever. Would would you be with us? So they they would rely on not God. They would rely on their ability to buy off other kings or raise up people that could you know learn how to do battle so that they could take care of the problems themselves rather than relying on God. If you remember, as you read the Old Testament, over and over, God had said, I will be your God. Do you remember that, that um, Israel at one point says, we want a king? And what does God say? I don't want you to have a king. I'll be your king. And they say, no, no, there's other nations that have kings. We want kings. Do you remember when the temple was established? The beginning of the conversation about a temple was not because God said, I want you to build me a temple. It was actually because the people said, we want to build you a great house for you to dwell in. And God's like, fine, go ahead, let's do it. But it wasn't their idea. There were temples all over the land uh, in the worship of all these other gods. And Israel was basically, we want to be like them. Just like I said earlier, be like Mike. We want to be like Mike. We want to be the goat. Hey, we want to be like the Assyrians. We want to be like the Babylonians. We want to be like these people. And God over and over and over was saying, am I not enough? So when you get to Hosea and you see the first child was to deal with the judgment of what happened with Jehu in the Valley of Jezreel. And God said, this is the beginning of the end for you. And then you get to the second child, this girl that's born, and it's Lo Ruama. And he says, it means you're not loved anymore. I'm removing that that intimate love relationship that we have together. I'll still provide for you, but the relationship is now different, and that's not good. That's what's going on. And then you get to verse 8 and 9. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. This is the third child. This is the third prophetic name given. And this is the third form of judgment that was the harshest form. Remember, God said, I'm going to avenge and it's leading towards your captivity with the first child. With the second child, God said, I'm removing the intimate love relationship that we have. I'll provide, but but I'm removing the love thing. It's, It's not like that anymore. And now God says, finally, you are no longer my people. This was the harshest judgment they could receive. And so here God is saying, name the child lo me," which means not my people and I am not your God. Over and over, God said, you are, as I mentioned, my special possession. You are mine. You are my beloved. And God says, because of your rebellion, I'm removing my blessing from you. I'm removing my hand from you. And now I'm removing entirely our relationship, and you will entirely suffer the consequences because I'm not even your covering. That's how bad it got. Now, why do I say, why do we go through all of this? Why do we review history that happened 2,700 and some years ago? Why would we do that? Remember, this all centers around marriage. And the reason I bring that up is because marriage is meant to be the most intimate relationship between a man and a woman that was ever created. That's what God intended when you look at this relationship, and this is how God views us. You and I are his. Remember, when you read the last part of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, in chapter 21, what does it talk about? A new Jerusalem. Coming down from heaven from, from God, and it's got the, and it talks about the adornment and the beauty and the majesty and the splendor. Do you know what that is? It's the church. It's you and I in the future. But it's a reminder and it harkens back to the, the relationship that God had with Israel. But it's the relationship that God gives you and me. How? John the disciple said it. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you and me. God cared so much about you and me that he calls us today his beloved. That over and over, the grace he extends to you and to me is because of his great love for us. John said, God so loved mankind that he gave his one and only son. That we would hear it as the Christmas story. Emmanuel, God with us. God coming down in the flesh and paying the price for your sin and my sin on the cross. It's why Some people would hang a cross around their neck, some do it just as a form of jewelry, but others it means something. It's why outside of certain church buildings or inside certain facilities, you see crosses all over the place. It's why along the the highway there's grave markers. Most of the time in America, there are crosses. It's why you go to certain cemeteries and you see crosses all over the place. It's a reminder of what God has done in Christ because of his great love for you and me. And yet here you are and here I am. And we go, man, I'm sure grateful for what Jesus has done. Man, I'm sure glad I can surrender. Man, I'm sure uh, grateful I can be forgiven of all I've ever done wrong because of the cross. And we feel that way and that's great. But sometimes what happens is we don't think Jesus is enough. And you might not want to admit it and I might not want to admit it but in the 30 plus years now that I've been following Christ I can go over just like Israel a pattern or man I love Jesus but then I want some of what I want oh forgive me god I want you but then I want some of what I want but god forgive me and I and then I want some of what do you see the pattern it happens in Israel but it happens in you and it happens in me can I give you some good news today God's grace is there. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you were doing last night. I don't want, know what you were up to last week. I don't know what happened on vacation. Well, I know some of what happened you did on vacation because I see on social media. But what I know is this, just like in Israel, there is a God who loves you so much that he calls you his beloved. And you and I go, I love that, but let me try some other stuff too. And God, just like to Israel, would say to us, am I not enough? Have I not done enough? Is the sacrifice I made so you could have life not enough? The intro to Hosea is meant to get our attention. Wait, what? He did what? But like I said, it was a personal object lesson for Israel. But if you want to look at it today for you and me, who at times struggle with the same things Israel struggled with. We want what Jesus has done. But then we go, yeah, but look at what they have. And look at how they handle. And look at what they do. Am I the only one in the room who feels this way? It's a battle that we face. And yet I would remind us, look at what over and over Jesus teaches us in the New Testament. Matthew 6 is a great example. See the lilies of the field? They don't labor or spin or toil. And you look at the splendor they have. Not even Solomon was dressed like that. See the birds of the air? They don't sow and reap and stow away all up in in, in barns that your heavenly father takes care of them. Aren't you more valuable than a couple of birds? Over and over, God says, I'm your provider. Over and over, God says, I've done everything that you can find grace. Over and over, God says, I am your peace. That's why in a world that feels like it's spinning out of control, we can still keep our heads on straight. We can still have peace in the midst of turmoil. We can still be generous when the world says, grab, grab, get yours. We can still love when the world says, look at how you've been hurt, don't do that again. Jesus has done everything that you and I can have life. And yet if we're all honest, there's times where We don't think it's enough. Love you, Jesus. I want to try some other stuff too. Anybody ever heard the name Judas? If you know the name Judas, it's not just your neighbor or somebody you know. Judas in Scripture was one of the disciples. Have you ever thought or considered or marveled at the fact that Judas was chosen as a disciple? And Judas got to see All the miracles the other disciples saw. And Jesus got to witness, or sorry, Judas got to witness Jesus teaching the crowds with such authority and building bridges towards the broken and extending grace towards prostitutes. And doing all kinds of things that, that should have opened his heart in amazing ways. And yet, what did Judas do? he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. The religious leaders were looking for a way to arrest him. And Judas, in his greed, and the disciples talk about this in the gospels. Judas always was greedy, he always, the money was an issue. When the woman breaks the the, the jar of perfume worth a year's wages and pours it on Jesus' feet and is weeping, he's sitting there like, what in the world? And at certain points, they had a, a bag where they had some coins in it as they would travel and get some food along the way. And Judas would take money from it. And Judas became so frustrated after all the miracles, after all the teaching with authority, after all the building bridges to the broken and downtrodden, that instead of his heart becoming softer, it became harder. And yet, At the point that that Judas shows up with soldiers in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happens? He says, the man I lean into and kiss is the one. And he shows up in the garden where Jesus is with the other disciples and he's praying. And he's been praying through the night and agonizing because he knows the cross is coming. And and Judas leans into Jesus and kisses him on the cheek and that's the sign that the soldiers would come and arrest him. And what what is Jesus' response? Jesus says, do what you came for. He says to Judas, do what you came for, but I'm leaving out a very important word. Do you know the whole sentence? Add one word to the beginning, friend. Friend, do what you came for. Why is that important? Because most theologians agree that when Jesus says friend, It's the final extension of grace towards Judas whose heart is sideways. And if we're all honest, you and I are Judas at times. Selling Jesus out for a bottle, selling Jesus out for a porn habit, selling Jesus out for anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, selling Jesus out for a thrill, selling Jesus out for filling the blank, Jesus end. What is it for you? What is it for me? And what do we sell? Jesus out for. Because the reminder in Hosea is you and I have a love relationship where Jesus calls you and I beloved. And my hope and my prayer in this message is that something switches in us it breaks our heart towards things that we go, Jesus, end. Jesus, end this habit. Jesus, end this attitude. Jesus, end this belief system. Jesus, end this We have such an amazing God that's done so much to remind us. Not only has he given us salvation through the cross, but life. And he even said, Jesus had life abundantly. Why would we ever trade in Jesus for this other stuff? And yet we do. The good news is his grace is there. See, what I'm saying for some of you today is something that maybe in church world you haven't heard a lot. But, but you came today and maybe you've been coming for a while or maybe you're relatively new. There is a God who cares so much about you that like John said, God so loved you that he gave his son. And maybe you've never surrendered to that. Maybe you've never heard it explained. I'm doing my best to explain it the best way I can with the language I know. But there is a God who loves you and what he asks of you is to surrender to Jesus. And maybe you've never done that but maybe you're here today because today's your day. And there are some of you in a moment where I'm gonna say, hey, do you wanna raise your hand and invite Jesus to be your Lord and you need to raise your hand. And I'm gonna ask you to repeat a simple prayer after me in just a few moments, I'm just letting you know. But some of you in the room, you hear the story and my hope would be your heart opens up to you, that's where I find life. Maybe you feel the anxiety of the world. Maybe you feel the hopelessness of of what goes on out there. Maybe you, you, you feel the vibe of where you go at work and the jadedness of your family or whatever it might be. There is a God who loves you enough to give you life. Even when every other life is falling apart, even when every other family member seems to have their drama, even when everything around you seems to be so tense and frustrating, there is a God who cares. And what he asks of you is to believe in Christ and surrender to him. And maybe you've never done that before, but maybe you need to today. Or maybe you're here today and you've done the church thing or you've heard of Jesus or whatever it might be. And maybe you even prayed a prayer a long time ago. But maybe today you go, you know what? I've I've done my thing, but I really needed that today. There's some of you that'll meet me in the lobby and go, were you following me around? Because I thought you were speaking right to me. And that's great to hear because my hope is that I'm, I'm speaking what the Lord would put on my heart. Some of you today have been around church world or prayed a prayer a long time ago or whatever it might've been, but you walked in today, just kind of I'm just kind of kicking the tires or somebody just invited me or I just showed up or whatever it would be, but God is calling you back to And if you're in the category of you haven't given your life to Christ, but you know you need to, or you're in the category, I've, I've done that, but I've kind of done my thing and, and man, I want a fresh start. If that's you today without a head bowed, without an eye closed, because I don't care. I would ask you on the count of three to boldly raise your hand if you want that fresh start. One, two, three. Where are you at? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? Someone invite Jesus in. Take a moment. If you're online and you're doing this, put it in the chat. Let somebody know so we can follow up. But if you're in here today and you raise your hand, I would ask you to pray a prayer with me. And if you've prayed this prayer, just repeat with us, okay? So if if you're praying this prayer because you raised your hand, or if you're here going, hey, I I get it, I'm, I'm here, I just want you to pray with us. Just say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done because you love me so much. Forgive me of all my mistakes, of all my sin. Come into my life, forgive me of all of it. I need a clean slate, a fresh start, and I believe it's found. In you. I want to surrender my life to you. I need that new beginning. Come into my life in Jesus name. Amen. Can we give a hand to uh, 15, 16 people that that said yes to Jesus? Um, If you're one of those that raised your hand, would you do me a favor? And would you let us know on the way in, we give you the connect card. If you didn't get one on the way out, grab one and just, just let us know real quick. And the reason I say it is because what we wanna do is follow up and we have intentional steps we wanna help you take because it's just the beginning of this journey. So please, if you raise your hand today, before you head out, just fill it on the card. There may be one in the seat in front of you. I know they're in the lobby on your way out or if you got one on the way in, please let us know. We wanna help you take a couple of steps. And the final prayer I wanna pray is this one. There's some of us that, that like I said earlier, it really becomes this Jesus and. And I really believe when you look at what's going on with Hosea and the nature of the the, the allegory or the the, the illustration of that relationship and how heartbreaking it is, is meant to bring you and I to a point to go, man, I don't want to be like Mike. I don't want to be like the other nations. I don't want to be like them who have all that stuff because to get there means compromise. To get there means not what God wants. Or maybe when I say it, and I mentioned earlier, and I said the word bottle, you're like, oh boy. Or I said, uh, uh, I think I said porn addiction, or an affair. You're flirting around, but you're married, but you know you shouldn't be, but you are. But you're on scrolling your old flame, or you know, or the eating thing, or the unforgiveness. There's all kinds of things I mentioned, and there were some things that went off in your head. That's me. What kind? is for you and I to be in that place of surrender. And yes, I'm sorry I get emotional about it because I believe it's a big deal. And I'm not standing up here pointing at you going, you guys, I'm standing up here 30 years into this thing going, us. Because even as I study with notes like this, I can stand up here and go, man, God, I don't have this nailed yet. Because there's times in my life where I admit it's Jesus and fill in the blank. Attitudes I carry, things I do. Stuff I'd feel ashamed of. We do. But God calls us back through his grace. What I wanna pray for you is a prayer of, say, recommitment, I guess, but for you and I to be brought to that place of surrender. What would it look like for you to get to a place in your life of Jesus? Jesus is enough. And everything else that you're responsible for flows out of that. Does that make sense? Because sometimes what is it's Jesus, but then there's this other life. But that's not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to work here, Jesus, and the center of my life is Christ and everything else flows out of that. And so what I wanna do is I wanna pray a prayer over all of us today. And it's a prayer that recommitment. But what it includes, and I'm almost done here, what it includes is the invitation for the Holy Spirit to transform us, the Holy Spirit to empower us, the Holy Spirit to convict us. When you read the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter two and it was amazing. And they were filled with power. Yes, to overcome sin and to be witnesses. But you know, it wasn't just then that it happened. Throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was poured out, sometimes on the same group of people because it's not a one and done. That's not a one and done. Marrying a prostitute was a one and done. Inviting Jesus to fill us is not a one and done. So I wanna pray that recommitment for all of us. And if you want me to pray for you in particular, I just would ask you to signify by just raising our hands. Jesus, I pray we'd surrender to you. Even if we're at home and we're on a couch, our hands in the air. In this room, our hands in the air. Jesus, I pray we would live in that place of surrender to you, recommitting ourselves to what you want, God. Realizing that in certain moments in this room, there's conviction when I say the word bottle, when I say the word nicotine, when I say the word weed, when when I say the word pornography, when I say the word unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, God, when we talk about certain lists of, of things, some of it, that's me, that's it, that's, that's the one. God, I don't want it to be Jesus and I'm still angry. Jesus and I still have. Jesus and that God, we get to a place to go, Jesus, just you, I surrender to you. I wanna love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, forgive us where we've missed the mark. Fill us fresh with your power to overcome. Let us become what you desire through the work of your Holy Spirit alive inside of us, baptizing us fresh with power. We can't do it in our own strength. We're not meant to, God. That was the purpose of the Holy Spirit empowering us to overcome those things that hold us back in sin, but also to shine and be witnesses to our world. God, we need your Spirit today. Transform us, forgive us, change us, in Jesus' name.